Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 314, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Rebecca and talk about tracking actual spending, generating income outside a traditional nine to five, and finding your true monthly needs. I've learned that the money's out there. You can get it. Um, it just, I've changed this job that I've had for three and a half years. It's the first time I'm ever doing it. I, when I walked in the door three and a half years ago, I had no idea. I didn't even have a background in it. So it's just like, but, but up until this point, I was just kind of throwing all this money away. I didn't know what to do with it. So now that I'm on this track, now, now that I'm thinking about it in a different way, you know, 10 years ago, if you would have said that, I'd have been like, eh, that's too far in the future. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my goal reframing co-host, Scott Trench. That's right. If the goal's too far away, just move those goalposts closer to you. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you are starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or simply establish clear goals that give you more flexibility. We'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I love today's guest. She is in a great position financially. She just wants to speed up retirement. So we have a lot of fun talking to her about her different options today. Yeah, I, I I mean we've we've had a number of guests uh, recently who kind of all have a similar profile in the sense, and, and they're all there's all a lot, ton of differences. So I think we had a really unique show today. But the, the the similarity or the theme that I keep harping on is this concept of you can't have all your wealth in retirement accounts and home equity if you want flexibility before traditional retirement age. You must do something different there, and that means hard choices of capital allocation that are not going through this 401k and IRA ladder and to your home mortgage payment. It means an intentional shift to putting that money elsewhere and or redeploying what is likely to be a massive amount of home equity for a lot of listeners into something that can deliver that flexibility. So hard choices, but I think I think you have to confront that problem, frame your goal very clearly and say, what do I want? And then begin actually making those actions towards it, even at the cost of perhaps some more tax-advantaged wealth at the end of the journey 25 years from now. It's all personal. All these options are personal to your journey and your specific position, but there's a lot of suggestions here, Scott, today. I specifically like your reframing goals conversation that you had with her. Uh, you took her $7,200 monthly goal, monthly passive income goal down to $4,000 in about 45 seconds. And that was, I think, hugely helpful to her. I think it'll be hugely helpful to other people that are listening to this show who may not realize why they have chosen their specific monthly goal. Oh, I need this much money in income. Why? Follow Scott's steps. And when he was talking to Rebecca today follow his his suggestions and see if you can't reframe and cut down your goal and you know get where you really need to be. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. 
That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, you know, it's, it's this paradox, I think, where... If you can cut the goal dramatically, you know, if you can spend $2,000 a month, um, which was something that I was getting, I was able to do when I was starting out because I was house hacking, right? And I had a paid off car and, you know, and all this other stuff. So I, I'm, I'm spending very little on my lifestyle and now I'm financially free in some very lean sense. Well, now you can begin piling assets on top of that and then things begin to expand, right? You have the option to work or not work or do all these other different types of things, but you can also just pile assets on top of your position. And then if you want to spend $3,000, $4,000, $5,000, $10,000 a month, you just wait until your asset base grows large enough to be able to do that. But if you can if you can make the sacrifice now or reframe the game, the rules of the game by house hacking or whatever it is, to lower your expenses, achieve financial freedom, realize those benefits, and then pile on the assets from there, you might be able to get some huge benefits at the cost. You can't have everything. You can't spend twenty seven, eight thousand dollars a month and get to financial freedom in 15 years and have it be totally uh, passive in Rebecca's situation. But you can reframe the goal, make make a huge amount of progress in one year, dramatically jumpstart your savings rate, have introduced a lot of flexibility, and then begin piling assets on top of that that give you more and more optionality each passing year. That's an achievable goal. And I think that folks kind of struggle to see that if they can make those changes that are unusual, like the house hack in the short run, and then use that to leverage a lot of wealth later on, you can have essentially all of the things, the the huge amount of passive income and the life flexibility and not have to work down the line. You just can't have it all up front. So you got to prioritize. Yes. Oh, I could not have said that better myself. So I'm not even going to try. 
And now let's make our attorney happy by saying the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. Neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Also, let's bring in Rebecca. Rebecca and her boyfriend make more money than they spend, even after contributing to retirement accounts and brokerage accounts. So that's good, right? They also have a big challenge. And I quote, we spend a ridiculous amount on unbudgeted things. As of right now, spending is trending downwards this year. But last year, we spent almost $40,000 on grocery, Amazon, eating out, Amazon, travel, Amazon, pet care. Did I say Amazon? So Rebecca, I think I see an area to work on even before we start talking, but welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, first off, yes, Amazon, everybody should cancel their Amazon Prime account because it is way too easy to click buy. They, I mean, they set it up on purpose to make it so easy to buy so you would continue to buy. However, it's so easy. I don't have to go out. I, it's so easy to just buy. So it's hard to cancel that. I understand where you're coming from. I don't want to see how much I spend on Amazon, so I just don't look at it. <laughs> I tried not to. What a great plan. No, it's a terrible plan because I have no idea how much I spend on Amazon. So I am going to give myself a research opportunity, which is going to make my heart break and look and see how much I am spending on my Amazon purchases. I'm going to ask people in our Facebook group, which you can join at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money to ask. I'm going to challenge them to look and see how much they spend in their Amazon accounts as well. And I'm an Amazon shareholder, so I don't want anybody to cancel their account, but also I care about people more than the bottom line. So if you're spending a lot on Amazon, a really great way to stop is to cancel your Prime account because there's this thing in your head. You're like, oh, it's free shipping. I can just click buy. and But if I have to pay for shipping... I'm going to say, maybe I don't need it that much. So I don't know. Maybe other people have that same barrier. Maybe they don't, but maybe I'm just cheap, but I don't want to pay for shipping. And Amazon Prime makes it super easy. So I'm going to go. I will let everybody know when this show airs. I will let you know how much I am spending on my Amazon Prime. I now have a little bit of heart palpitations saying that because I've got to go look that up. Okay. This is not about me. This is about you. Let's start <laughs> <Great>. over. <laughs> Rebecca, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing so good. So good. Uh, let's jump into your finances, not mine. And let's look at your income and where it's going. Okay. Um, so I make about $100,000 a year as a salary W-2 income from my job. I work in local government. Um, my income, I also have a second job as a contract technical writer. And that income varies significantly between $35,000 a year and $100,000 a year. Um, now, something that I may have a question later on is I don't budget for that income. So Everything comes from, all my expenses are covered by my first uh, W-2 salary job. Um, what do you do with that income, the contract income? Well, uh, with my local government job, I have a 457 plan that I'm able to max out. 
Um, with the second job, I have a 401k and I also maxed that out. I actually just maxed it out on Friday was our final payday for yay. Yay. Um, so, so up until this point, those paychecks have been, I want to say relatively small. Um, but going forward, they'll be bigger. And usually, um, I take about 75% of that and stick it into our brokerage account. Um, and then I'll use the rest for unbudgeted, I guess, sinking funds. Like we need a bathroom remodel. Um, I need new sliding doors on the back porch, stuff like that, that I just don't want to finance. Then I'll, I'll just have the cash laying around magically. After working your second job, yeah, exactly. more money appears. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Any, any other sources of income? Um, yes. My boyfriend does have a, uh, also a job with local government and that brings in about 30,000 a year. Awesome. So, so what's coming in after tax? Um, after tax, let's see, um, and after my four, five, seven plan, I bring home about $4,430 a month. And then he brings in about 1880 a month. So total about 6310. Awesome. Plus about, um, let's call it 40 grand in after tax income from your second job. Yeah, we can call it that. And which varies considerably. Yes. We discussed. Awesome. Um, and where does that money go? What are you spending it on besides Amazon? <laughs> right. Well, uh, budgeted things go to car insurance. That's about 120 a month. Um, we do have a Wyndham timeshare. I got roped into about 10 years ago, and it's about $50 a month. Nice. Um, mortgage currently is $1,400 a month. Um, I, I suspect that will go down a little bit next year because, as I mentioned before, my homeowner's insurance went up. It doubled. Um, so not only did I have to pay for what's coming up, but I had to make up for that shortage. So I would guess it'll go down a couple hundred bucks next year, but not significant. Um, utilities, which I would include water, trash, electric, internet, and then things like Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon are about $475 a month. Cell phones, $125 a month. And then what I call luxury items, which are, we have a house cleaner that comes twice a week. Um, lawn care and a pool guy, and that's about $325 a month. And then we have the big expense of groceries slash eating out slash gas, and then what we like to call fun money, um, and that's $1,800 a month. And those are, I guess, our lifestyle expenses. And then I have my monthly investments that come out after tax, which is $500 and an IRA for both of us, um, so $1,000 a month, and then a brokerage $500 a month. And then I also budgeted $100 a month for crypto. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes I don't. If I don't, it goes into the brokerage. So Awesome. So if, I, if I'm doing the math here, we've got 6300 in income between you and your boyfriend each month uh, and 4300 going out every month on average, obviously with big fluctuations on in the variable expenses being a, a major part of that. Um, and that leaves you with $2,000 surplus, which generally gets invested. Um, in a combination of brokerages, IRA, um, et cetera, not to mention that pre-tax, you're also contributing to your 457 plan. Is that a good synopsis of the situation? Yes. Awesome. And then on top of that, we've got uh, an unknown factor about you know the tens of thousands of dollars you're bringing in after tax from your second job. Correct. So we have a, a really strong cash generation situation here. If, if we just if we factor out all those investments, we've got two thousand dollars a month coming in steady state after tax and four fifty seven contribution. Um, so that's twenty four thousand dollars a year, and we've also got um, about thirty to forty thousand, I'm calling it forty thousand, in additional cash coming in from your second job. 
So that's a $64,000, $65,000 per year that we've got to play with in order to build wealth. Yes, that sounds great. <laughs> okay, so I'm seeing that that she's got all this income. I think that her expenses or her spending has some leaking in it. If you're not seeing this giant surplus every month, where's it going? And there is 500, uh, what is this? 500 to the IRAs and 500 to the brokerage. So that's 1,500 and then an, an additional 100. But I think that there's more money available that is just kind of yes not being accounted for. So, so um, with that second job that I have, I as I mentioned, it does have a 401k. Um, so up until about this point, um, about 50% of my money has been going into that as well. And now, I mean, that you also made a great point. Now, up until this point, I've been having about $2,400 a month extra coming in, but I haven't been saving it. I really am not sure where it's going. Okay, so there's the first research opportunity is to find out where that's going. And well, I, what's got? Well, it's going to the, the IRAs and the brokerage accounts. No, this is on top of that. That's on oh. top of that. Yes. So mm. what I find, I remember that A word that I said in the beginning of the show in my little diatribe or my very lengthy diatribe, um, really don't want to see how much I spend on Amazon every month, every year. Um, but I think that you would be surprised at how much is still going there even when you're conscious of it. And I started tracking my spending and you can follow along at biggerpockets.com slash Mindy's budget. And you can watch me really not be doing it right because everything is a guess. I mean, all of this, even with all of my years of financial experience, it's still just a guess where my money's going. And what I have found um, over the month of May, I actually wasn't writing down all of my expenses. So now at the end of May, I have to go back and enter them into the spreadsheet. I have no idea how much I was spending. But when I wasn't tracking it every single time I made a purchase, I didn't even have a vague running total in my head. I was swiping my card a whole lot more in the month of May than in previous months when I was far more conscious of having to type in the amount that I'm spending. So on the one hand, it's super tedious to sit there and track your expenses so granularly like I do. But on the other hand, it's so eye-opening when you do it. Halfway through the month, you're like, I'm already in the red in nine of my 10 categories. What is going on with me? I know I want to spend less. I have to make a conscious decision to spend less. But it's a work in progress too. Some of them I just I'm budgeted too low and I need to realize that I'm spending more money. If you do enjoy going out to eat, then don't cut that. You have the money to do that. But every dollar you spend going out to eat is a dollar that you can't put into your house or save for a down payment on a new house or do, you know, spend in a different way. You can only spend a dollar once. And I don't want anybody to send me an email about how you can borrow and spend it multiple times and send that to Scott. He loves it. Scott at biggerpockets.com. You just have to be conscious of that. And I think a lot of people, when you're not tracking every penny, it's very easy for lots of those pennies to just leave your your wallet. Well, well, let's keep let's keep rolling for a second here and go through net worth and then your goals. And that will okay. that will lead us to what we can do about this the situation. It could be that your spending is where we need to focus. It could be that there's other areas we need to focus. 
um, more on. My guess is spending and getting control of your dollars and having a very clear understanding of what's coming in, where's it going, how's it, how's it flowing through your system is going to be the 80-20, um, at least in the short term here. But let's, let's, let's kind of press on and make sure that's the case before going there. Where is your, um, where's your net worth and where does that money go? All right. Um, so let's see. I've, I've got a little list here. We got about uh, 20. I, I guess I'll just give you number figures. We got about 24,500 in a joint brokerage account, um, 7,000 in a regular savings. And that's just for, I guess, I'm not sure what that's for. But then I have $10,000 in a high yield savings account as a designated emergency fund. Um, my boyfriend has an inherited IRA at $135,000. Um, and he's also got the FRS investment plan, which is a defined contribution plan. And it's locked at 3%. Um, there's about 5,500 in there. Uh, my 401k has 56,000, about 3,000 in crypto. Um, his IRA has 13,000 and that's a Roth. My Roth has 16,000. My traditional has fifteen hundred, and then my four five seven plan has thirty four thousand five hundred. So that's about three hundred six thousand dollars, and then um, so of, my, of that three hundred six thousand, I'm counting that about forty thousand of that is not in the in an IRA. Is that right, or similar type of vehicle? Um, yes, you're talking like savings and brokerage type. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you're you're correct. Okay, great. So we have three hundred thousand in net worth in these investment accounts, forty of which is either cash or after-tax brokerage, and two hundred and sixty of which is in various retirement accounts. Yes. And you consider your finances to be joint with your boyfriend. Um, and then I have home equity. It's about one hundred seventy-four thousand. So I guess that brings us to four eighty. Okay. And what what are your goals? What can we help you with today? I would like to just a short, short quick short term goal would be to save eighty thousand dollars this year. Um, I, I think we're right around thirty seven thousand so far. Um, but my ultimate goal is to have some passive income of about seven thousand two hundred dollars a month. So I guess my one of my questions is, um, can I do this without real estate? Do I need to start thinking about that? Um, but mostly, just I, I need a real fresh set of eyes on this, you know, why aren't you doing this? It looks like you'd, you'd do well to do A or B. Awesome. So you want 7200 per month in passive income as soon as possible, and you want to save $80,000 this year? Yes. That's what, that's what we got. How, can I ask how old you are? Uh, 39. And, and your boyfriend's around the same age? Uh, he's a little younger, 35. Okay, awesome. Um, well, great. I think I think we can we can certainly work with, with, with that and, and begin going there. Let me, um, with the passive income, what's the goal? What, what would you do if you had the 7,200? Um, would not work anymore. That would be our, that, that would be our FI income. Okay. So we want to, you want, you want to retire essentially yes. as soon as possible from, from work. Love it. Let's, let's think through this. The first, I want to, I want to make an observation before you can get to spending. Um, and you, you, you may have heard, heard me say this before, but your wealth of your $480,000 in wealth 40,000 of that is accessible and relevant to your goal here of achieving financial freedom. The other $440,000 is in retirement accounts and home equity, which is not going to help you generate that passive income until you reach retirement age. And from the way you phrased your, th- your, your, your 
goals, I can infer that you're not looking to wait until retirement age to retire. You want to retire much earlier than that. <laughs> um, Correct. Yes. So, so I would I would noodle on that and say let let's start with this. What does a portfolio that generates seventy two hundred dollars per month in passive income look like at the end of the day? What 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 does that mean to you? I guess I'm not sure. Just uh, something that I don't really have to work for. It just um, just kind of shows up. <laughs> That makes sense. (laughs) Well, that's the definition of passive income. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, I want to look at your second job. How much time does it take you to generate that $35,000 to $100,000 a year? Um, It it depends on the contract. So right now I'm doing a contract. I make $100 an hour, but I am capped at 20 uh, 20 hours a week. And I don't don't mind. I love the work. Um, A lot of people are like, how can you work, you know, 60, 70 hours a week? And I'm like, well... I work my government job and then I come home and the second job is kind of what I do to unwind. So that that works out well for me. Could you continue to do that to generate a portion of this income? It's it's a lot easier to work when you like what you're doing. Um, yes. Yeah, I have and- talked about that. I think I think I would actually prefer to do that. Okay. I, mean, I know I said I would want passive, but this I mean I would realistically, if I know myself, I would keep doing it. Okay. So if you are in a position where you can, you're generating, let's see, a hundred hours, a hundred dollars an hour on this contract. Can you take multiple contracts at a time? No, because it is a W-2 position and they kind of control what I do. Now I could, you know, go out into like what they call the contractor pool and take on multiple projects, but I'm not sure I would really have fun doing that, but. (laughs) Okay. I could try. I just want to. I want to stay focused on the goal here because um, I think I think you're, you've created a number there and don't really have a good framework for how to achieve that. And so, uh, because of that, I think we have an opportunity, um, with your permission, to reframe that goal to something that is more tangible um, and and that can be achieved in a three to five year period. That gives you more optionality. I don't. I don't know. You know, if you're going to go by the four percent rule, um, and you want to achieve. $86,000 in passive income per year, then that says you need to build a net worth of $2.1 million, right? That is a far way off even saving $80,000 per, per year. But we can get to something that achieves the, the, the result of life flexibility and the ability for you to leave your job and have optionality far earlier than that if we back into a reframing of that goal, right? And we think about how to, how to access more of your net worth in the, in the near term than what you've than what would currently be allowed with it all being trapped in retirement accounts and home equity here. So I think first of all, if we go back to spending, um, why do you why do you need seventy two hundred dollars a month? How'd you come up with that number? Um, you know, I kind of just uh, took what we spend now on um, I guess a a normal month, um, including all of my my extras and it's between six and nine thousand and I was like, okay, I don't need to be buying, you know, all this ridiculous stuff. So I came I just settled on seventy two hundred as like a happy medium in there. <laughs> There's no real science behind that number. Okay. You you're you don't you didn't list any car payments. You don't have, you have paid off cars? Uh yeah, we have one vehicle. Um it's a twenty fifteen Mazda. It's paid off. Um and then for, with my job in local government, I actually have, they provide me with a vehicle and gas. Um, so kind of lucky there. Okay. So, so, and we, we will 
I think, spend a large amount of time tackling the variable expenses. But let's go back to housing, which for you is $1,400 a month, may vary when you get your payment reset from the insurance thing. And we've got the utilities bill. So that's $1,800 a month. You know, what, if we, if we were to able, if we were able to drastically eliminate those, for example, now you don't need 7,200 anymore. And if you're able to cut out a bunch of that variable expenses on, from spending from Amazon and get that down, I mean, you could conceivably get your spending down to $3,000, $4,000 a month. If we were able to pull those, pull those numbers down. Is that right? Yeah. Seems, seems to be that way. Okay, so now you don't need $7,200 in income. Now you need 4000 in income uh, per month or, or 5000 Maybe Maybe you need 2000 and in passive income, and you're like, okay, I cannot retire, but I can leave the main job and just do the side hustle, that, and that will more than cover my expenses, right? So now, this is, I think, the power of reframing the goals around what I'm hearing is, is flexibility. You want the option to leave your job at an early time period. Um, and you want passive income and flexibility to enable that to happen as rapidly as possible um, and give yourself lots of options downstream. Is that right? Yes, that sounds great. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's start with what I call financial runway. Right now, you have $17,000 in cash. Is that right? Yes. So what, what, what happens if you leave your job right now? How, fast, how long do you run out of, before you run out of cash? It depends. If I lost both jobs, <laughs> then about three months. Yeah. I, I think that, that is, that's where I would start. I think you'll, you'd feel a lot better if you had closer to six to 12 months in an emergency reserve. You earn more money per hour at your side hustle than your main job. That's exciting. Something's there. And I would and I would I think that a runway of building of putting that cash towards, you know, let's call it thirty, forty thousand dollars in that emergency reserve is gonna be really powerful for you because you have the side hustle opportunity and because it sounds like you're doing a lot of home improvement projects as well with that. So I, I don't think you have enough cash on hand, given the opportunities that I'm beginning to smell in your circumstance. What do you think about that? Um, I, I, I agree with that 100%. I, I would feel the definitely the $10,000 in the emergency fund doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy. I would feel better just with the emergency fund closer to 15 or 20. And then maybe having, you know, an additional 15, 20 and something else. Yeah, I would think about how big does that emergency fund have to be for me to feel comfortable leaving my full-time job for six months to a year to pursue this side hustle. You don't actually have to do it, but I think I think if you build your position and concentrate the next $40,000 in cash that you're generating, primarily going towards that goal, then things will light up for you in a way that they wouldn't for somebody. I would not be given the same the same question, the same thought process guidance to somebody who did not have a big side hustle that was so lucrative. Um, but I think in your situation, it's going to be really powerful. Okay. So, no, that's a great, great plan. Okay. So second, let's talk about um, uh, your home. Equ- and, and by the way, that will come at the expense of continuing to stuff dollars into these IRAs. You're doing this like, you're doing you're doing this approach where you put a little bit in this one, 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 and then you have very little cash and everything else going is going into the mortgage payment and these these other expenses. Instead, I think you need to prioritize 
what you think the best opportunity is. And so far, we have lots of discussion left, but so far it sounds like we're thinking maybe stuff it into the the savings account or the emergency reserve and be willing to use that for some sort of opportunity downstream. So that means you're going to have to not contribute to all these other other areas and prioritize that one until you get to your, your first goal. Um, but I think that that will open up flexibility and options for you. So I would consider that. Second thing, let's talk about home equity. Where do you live and how much do you like your house? Uh, I live in um, South Central Florida. I like the house. It's small. It's a little small for us. I don't know. I, I, I'm open to moving. That's for sure. So, so you have 174 grand in ho- home equity right now, and that's costing you $1,400 a month um, to, to maintain. I I would consider. I would put put on um, in there the house hack. Right? Is there a duplex? Is there a place that you could live with? Um, we, we just interviewed um, a couple from where? Did, where were Andrew and Haley from? Mindy, uh, the East Coast. Well, they're from Florida as well, um, and they're and they're on. I think they're on like the the west coast of Florida, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, okay, they're in a town where homes are three hundred thousand ish, and they're able to buy properties with excess units and Airbnb them, and that is more than covering all of their housing costs while they live in a fairly nice unit and rent out the other the other units either. And I think you could either consider that long-term or short-term that's been, that's super powerful. And if you want to get lots of flexibility very quickly, you can take that 175,000 in home equity, cash out a ton of that, use that to beef up your emergency reserve, for example, buy one of these properties, maybe even a second rental property within six months or a year following that. And now you've got a potential way to live for much cheaper on average. You're going to have to do some work managing the Airbnb um, or the tenants on the side, but that might be a way to jumpstart your rental property portfolio if you're interested in doing that. You may also find that you're able to live a very comparable living arrangement um, depending on on how you want to do it. You obviously would you know, spend, generate less income or, or have less of an advantage if you buy a really nice place and live in the nice unit versus if you buy a place that has more income potential and live in the garage, um, depending on, <laughs> on your preference there. But, but that would be, I would, I would put that bug in your ear and think about, Hey, that that's a big lever in your situation because right now we don't have much to play with in the form of cash or other, or your IRAs. I can't do much with those, but we can do something with the home equity. That's a move you, a strategic move you could make in the next six to 12 months to redeploy what you do have. Um, yeah, it's definitely something to think about. I am, I've been in the, um, I've been in the landlord business before. I'm not opposed to getting back into it. Um, I, I guess I hadn't hadn't really th- thought about it too much, uh, just because of where the housing market is right now. And I don't. But that's that's pretty much the only reason. I just you're already exposed to the housing market in a big way with your current property, right? So the, the disadvantage to what I just said is you're going to trade your current interest rate for a higher one, right? So it's up to you to kind of determine, is that trade-off worth it because of the income potential I can generate from these properties? But you'll have the same amount of wealth in the housing market before and after the transaction, if you buy a property that's around the same value as your current home, for example. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So the risk profile is the same except for the higher interest rate, um, which you gotta, which you'll have to grapple with. That's a challenge for everyone. And I have a, I, I want to make a comment about passive income. There is this idea that passive income means absolutely no 
work on your part whatsoever. But if you had nothing to do all day, you have two jobs. If you had nothing to do all day, you would be bored. Sitting here for 25 minutes talking to you, I already know this. I just got back from a weekend retreat called Camp Mustache. And all of those people are on their path to financial independence or have gotten to financial independence. And none of them sit around doing nothing all day long. That's That's just not, that isn't what they want to do. If you enjoy this technical writing at $100 an hour, that just seems kind of like a no-brainer. No, it's not passive income, but it's also, you're limited to 20 hours a week. That's a couple of really long days. And then you've got the whole rest of the week to just lay on the beach and do nothing. Yeah, that's exactly true. Or would you find other ways to fill your day? You know, Having a an Airbnb where you are the, the turnover, that is hands down the hardest part of an Airbnb is finding somebody to consistently clean to your standards. People who rent Airbnbs really expect absolutely pristine. And it can be difficult to leave that up to somebody else, especially if you're a control freak like some of us on this call. So But it also doesn't take a ton of time. You're not doing it every single day. Even if you had a property that didn't have a minimum, you would still have people who come and stay for three or four nights. And then maybe you would turn it over once or twice a week. That's something for you to do. You're going to be working and generating, like filling your days with things. It's, it's, I think it's a little, and I'm not saying this to you, Rebecca, I'm saying this to anybody listening. I think it's a little bit disingenuous to think that once you reach financial independence, you are only going to have passive income. You're never going to do anything else. And you, you don't get to this place and then just be like, mm, I'm just going to do nothing for the rest. <laughs> That's a good point. Your drive, your body, your mentality, your makeup is not going to allow you to just sit around and do nothing. So if you like doing this technical writing, and it pays super well, pick and choose the jobs that you want to do. It sounds like $100 an hour is the going rate that you make, and you're capped at $20 for all contracts, or just the one that you're currently working on? The, the one I'm currently working on is uh, is $100 an hour because it's California money. Um, okay. But it is capped at 20 hours a week. Um, if I were to, say, leave this company and go out on my own, um, I could probably charge in general fifty to seventy five an hour um, outside of California. Okay, so step number one is focus on California jobs. Yes. Step number two is uh, double up on those California jobs. <laughs> Go out on your own and get those California jobs. I, I like what Scott did. He took your your desired amount and your monthly and reframed it and cut it in half for you in like 45 seconds. Yeah, that was good job, Scott. Thanks. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I think, I think, I think that if you say, great, I I can move to a location that I want to move to and buy the same amount of house and get income for it, um, that you, you might have a lifestyle, a similar lifestyle, or even an improvement depending on how you do it. And now you've knocked that down by 1400 bucks. If you could live for free, for example, with an Airbnb, Right, and that just dramatically accelerates um, this position. So, I, I, I think that's where that's where you can say, "What do I? What do I really want here?" You know, I don't think you want seventy two hundred dollars in income. You want optionality to leave your job as soon as possible, and then you want as much passive income as you can possibly generate over time. 
uh, with that, but you, but you need, but there's a, there's a minimum goal here that can be achieved in three to five years with creativity and a little bit of luck, um, versus what you just, what you stated at the beginning of this is if you save $80,000 a year and you want 7,200 in passive income, and you want to do that through passively managed real estate, long-term rentals or stocks, you're looking at building $2 million in wealth, which is going to take you 10, 15 years. That's, that's really long to get to what you want what you really want, I think. And I think there's other ways to, to hack around that. That's that are faster. So that's, that's how I'd frame that. And the less you spend, the less passive income you generate. So every dollar, one way to think about it is if you go the passive stock bond route, every dollar you spend per year, you got to generate $25 in wealth in order to have the passive income to cover. That's really hard. So every dollar you cut reduces that every thousand dollars you cut uh, per year in spending every thousand dollars per month you cut in spending is twelve thousand dollars per year times 25 is what's 12 times 25 300 grand in wealth that you need less so if you can cut a thousand dollars a month out of your your budget you cut you you re- reduce your journey to financial independence by three hundred thousand dollars in total wealth so i'm gonna tag on scott's rant before we change the topics and challenge you to use my spending tracker emulate my spending tracker uh, which I got from Waffles on Wednesday. So if you Google Waffles on Wednesday mobile spending tracker, uh, Mr. Wow detailed how to do it. Um, if you're a technical writer, you probably can figure that out yourself. Uh, but it's it's very easy. You put it on your phone, and it's really hard to get in the habit of tracking every time you spend. But it will soon become a habit. It's It's so beneficial, and almost instantly you will discover – Oh, I am spending on Amazon every single day and I am going to the grocery store every single day. And that was my big one. And, you know, whatever it is you're doing and challenge yourself. If you're going out to eat six nights a week, see if you can do it at five nights a week. Don't go from six to zero because you're going to be like, wow, my life sucks. Go from six to five. And then if that's okay, go from five to four. And if that's okay, then go from four to three. Ooh, you know what? Four is really where I want to be. You're making good money. But know that every time you go out to dinner is more expensive than cooking at home. And, you know, there's just, there's all these trade-offs. So it's not that you're spending too much money. You're generating a lot of income. You have this money to spend. You're not going into debt with the spending that you're having. But you could live far more frugally and rack up your savings faster by making different choices. And having the information in front of you helps you make those choices a lot easier. Um, and you don't, you don't have to give up everything. Scott still goes out for beers and wings. I, I think that's right. I think, I think that's where we've now talked about, I think, the biggest levers in getting you toward flexibility, which is one, emergency reserve. And an emergency reserve I would even re- relabel it financial runway. And, and and I think you need six months plus in your situation because I think that there's going to be lots of opportunities that are going to light up in front of you when you're sitting in a really strong, flexible financial position that you're going to take advantage of. Um, the second is home equity um, and getting the, the fixed expenses down as low as possible. You've done a great job by having one car with a pay, that's paid off so you, don't, you, don't, you don't have that in your life. You just have the car insurance payment and then gas for that. And then the next is the mortgage payment. Your your cell phones, I assume you don't want to cut those plans, although you could try the, the Mint Mobile um, uh, uh, plan that, that I think is a lot of people are really powerful. Now we get to the luxury 
what you call the luxury spending, which includes all of those other, those other items. And so, great. Now we can attack some of those and think through how we want to handle that. Um, and, and so let's go through them line by line. Before we get to Amazon, I want to talk about house cleaning, lawn care, and pool guy, um, which you said is 325 a month? Yes, for all three. Awesome. I like those, and I'd keep them in your spending plan right now. But I'd but when we I would get into a point where I can track my total expenses and I know how much is going to those areas. The reason I'd keep those right now is because your time is worth $100 an hour, 50 to $100 an hour. So you can hire out, I imagine, those services at a lower rate than you currently work for. And you work a full-time job and then some. So your time is valuable. And I don't think that it makes sense to uh, take the take those into your into your, your ballpark right now. If you want flexibility and you want to leave your job, for example, then the value of your time is going to come cratering down to a large degree. And that would be a time to cut those expenses at that point. If you said, you know what, I can take care of those things in exchange for not having to work anymore, but you can begin to kind of say, okay, that's a reasonable trade-off for now. It won't be, it may not be later if I wanted to leave my job in three years, for example, on a modest amount of passive income in in a house hack or whatever. Um, so that, that would be what, what, one thing there. So that leaves us with $1,500 in other variable expenses. And I think this is where, um, Mindy's system can become really powerful for you. Um, I have a couple of other things I want to talk about. You said your homeowner's insurance just doubled. I want to tell a quick little story about how I had really low coverage for my automotive and insurance and really low coverage for my homeowner's insurance. And I decided that now is the time for me to get an umbrella insurance policy. So I, a friend had just gotten one. She really did a lot of research. She, she landed on Liberty Mutual. I called them up and I talked to them and they said, oh, you know what we can do for you? We can give you more automotive coverage and more homeowners insurance coverage and an umbrella policy and your annual premium is going to be less than what you were paying for your lower amount of auto and your lower amount of homeowners insurance. And I was like, what? This has to be a catch. She said, nope. And I did increase my deductible on my homeowners insurance because I don't really need that is, I've never used homeowners insurance in my life, but I'm always going to have it because if my house burns down, I want somebody to come in and, and rebuild it for me for free. I'm doing little air quotes for those <laughs> listening. Um, but I think that insurance is valuable. And I was shocked at how much lower I'm paying now versus before I had the umbrella policy. So I challenge you to get your insurance requoted and you're in a place where you have to have probably some certain kinds of insurance that other people don't have. I don't have to have hurricane insurance over here in Colorado where we have a historically low chance of hurricanes every year. Um, but I do have, oh, I don't have flood insurance either. But in another another house, I had flood insurance because I lived on a lake and it was um, much more rainy there and there was a real possibility that I would flood. So... The ocean has to rise like 5,280 feet for it to be an issue um, yeah. here. <laughs> and then we've got way bigger problems than just, you know, having flood insurance. I, I think that's right. I think with, with the insurance, um, you know, there, there's, there may be an opportunity to combine those with the car insurance and the home insurance. 
Um, and and we, we are not lawyers. This is for entertainment purposes only, of course, um, with, with with all this. But you know, what one thought thing to noodle on from an insurance perspective is the concept of do you have assets to protect? And your assets are almost entirely in home equity, homeowners insurance can help with that, and then retirement accounts. You have no other assets outside of that besides the car and $40,000 in, in brokerage accounts and checking and savings. So I'm not clear on the advantages for you of a, of a big umbrella col- uh, policy, for example, and other forms of asset protection, because um, you may find that when you self-educate on this topic a little bit more, that the the the, the retirement account contributions and such are going to be generally more protected um, from lawsuits and those types of things than other forms of assets. So when you have a huge yes. real estate portfolio that's in your name or an LLC that you own, um, or you have other things and you you know you get angry at somebody at the bar and punch them in the face, that that you can get th- those can go after you if you don't have the the policies in place, right? But uh, if you uh, this. Obviously, this has not happened. I'm making this up, but but uh, 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 that would be that would be a good case for an umbrella policy at that point to help cover some of those those higher level things. But maybe not, um, and maybe not if you punch them in the face. You know, I don't know if they could protect against you know crimes uh, that you commit. But but I think I think that you know like that's that's where you'd want to have the umbrella policy. I think in place, and that's the thing that can come later. Uh, maybe when you approach 500 to a million in net worth outside of the. Those those areas that you have um, would be a good yeah. Good and I wasn't suggesting about. that she get an insurance an umbrella insurance policy. I was just highlighting that because when I had my insurance requoted, I went from two policies, auto and home, to three policies. My auto and home coverage went up, and yet my out of pocket premiums for all three policies is currently less than my out of pocket premiums for the two policies that I had before for lesser coverage. So it was just shocking. I mean, and they didn't raise my insurance rates significantly over time. It was, you know, every year it's like $5. Well, why am I going to go requote my insurance for $5? Now it's been a few years and it's not $5. It's, I think my insurance was 600 for car and now it's like 500. So I'm not saving an enormous amount, but I'm saving enough that it makes it worth my while to call up and, you know, 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. It's actually not even where I went. That's where I was. But with all of this other you know, with all of this other coverage, I'm still paying less now. So definitely requote your insurance. If you have not requoted your insurance in a year, it's time to requote. Every year, they have no loyalty to you, so you have no loyalty to them. Uh, investment comment: You said that your boyfriend has an inherited IRA. Yes. There is. Are you familiar with the rules around inherited IRAs? There's a timeline for liquidation. Yes, I believe the last we checked it was ten years. Yeah. Um, and so he how got long this, has he had this? Uh, since 2020. So only two years okay. now. Okay. Uh, uh, I guess so- I was just going to say, I think based on her income at time of death, there is no uh, required minimum distribution from my understanding at this point. Okay. But I think Do that you have a CPA or a tax professional that helps you with your taxes or are you a DIY tax person? Um, this year was the first year I actually paid someone to do it. Um, so, so, but we're not married. So that was just for me. So on his end, he's got a tax guy that I think his dad uses, um, that, that he inherited as that as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully we haven't had, 
haven't had um, any withdrawals from that account this year, but last year it was minimal and it didn't really make a make a dent. So, so I just would give him a research opportunity to look into the rules surrounding that because you don't want to get to year ten and say, oh, now I have to withdraw all of these funds and I have this huge taxable event that I wasn't planning on that I now have to deal with. So just, yes, you have eight years to look into this, start looking into it now and making plans for it. Maybe keeping it in there is the best choice. Maybe rolling it over is a great idea. I don't have an inherited IRA, so I don't have a lot of information about it. I just know that there is a timeline for you. So I'm going to okay. send you down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I think our um, our unofficial plan is to um, withdraw the majority of it and and do something with it, um, be, be it put it in the brokerage or anything, um, while his income is still low and before we um, before we get married. Let's talk about your incidentals. If we we said they're eighteen hundred dollars a month, if you pull out the three hundred bucks for house cleaning, lawn care, and pool guy, which I think are perfectly reasonable given your income situation. Um, that's $1,500 for incidentals per month. That is super reasonable, uh, at the end of the day that, I mean, that like if you say it's, if you say it's 750 for groceries, um, and, and then you have $750, um, between the two of you for life's fun stuff and guilt-free spending. What is that? That's 375 bucks per person per month. That would be a very reasonable amount of money um, to spend in per- perhaps even on the low end from a, Hey, I'm going to, I get to do that guilt-free. And I would, I would encourage you to make that, to make that guilt-free. Um, so I think, okay. I think you have an opportunity to control that grocery budget. So you, so you, you have, you're making sure that that's going where you want it to go. But I would, I would, at the end of the day with, with your, with what I hear here, have that, those, that 350, 400 bucks per month be guilt-free spending. Just make sure that it doesn't go beyond $300, $400 per month, which is what I'm hearing uh, might have been happening for the last year or two. So I think that if you, if you can- Yeah, that's the hard part. <laughs> so, so great. If you, do, do you need, maybe, maybe it would be helpful to provide a toolkit that could help, you know, some options that could help make sure that that money does not advance beyond $400 a month per person, for, for example. So one simple option would be the money date and the budget, the budgeting process and saying, look, here- we're going to we're going to have all these other expenses and then here's your fun money account and here's my fun money account. Groceries and household goods are all included in this particular in in, the, in this budget here. But then like we're going to track and all of your spending um boyfriend, I don't think we've, we've said his name yet, um is going to be on on this credit card, right? And 400 bucks a month and I'm going to get the same on this credit card. Um, this, the separate one. And that way, every one of those expenses is tracked by that individual each month in preparation for the money date. And you can see where those are going in, in crystal clear clarity, right? So, you know, you can even put a limit on those credit cards that is 500 or 750 or whatever, and then use your debit card or whatever for any bigger purchases. If you want to control that, that would be one toolkit for this. What do you think, Mindy? I think that's awesome. In fact, I just made a note. Ooh, put a new card on the Amazon account so that I can track my Amazon spending easily because I do think that I am using it mainly for necessities. That's that's what my wife and I do. I have my credit card. 
um, that I put all of my purchases on and she has her credit card, which she puts all of her purchases on. And we only use the debit card for certain expenses where it's just really hard to use the credit card or doesn't make sense. Um, like right now we're renting, we wouldn't pay, you know, 3% of the rent and transaction fees in the credit card. Um, but that way at the end of the month, it's super easy for me to track all the expenses because it just says Scott's credit card in our budgeting software. And so I know that I've got a put in all those those transactions and she's got to put in all the ones that say Virginia's credit card. Um, and so that's really easy at the end of the month and we can tell where the money's going. Um, by the way, I'm always the culprit on the one that's spending more frivolously than my wife um, every month without exception. So, um, you know, there's- right Wow, there what a surprise. You. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my boyfriend's like, let's just cook in and I'm like, let's go out. We haven't been out in like three days. Let's just go. It's fine. We have money. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's and that's great. Put it on your credit card uh, as like, hey, I wanted to go out. It's going to be my credit card for for this one, and that's coming out of my fun money budget. Um, boom, we're we're good to go there. So okay, and then and then you 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 know at the end of the month, okay, those are all my calls. Here. <laughs> that's my bad. Okay, but that would be a toolkit that I I we find really powerful because at the end of the month you just look at it and there's no guilt. You're not like shaming the other person. You're just, you're just like facing the reality. Here's what much was spent on Scott's credit card. <laughs> and here's how much was spent on Virginia's uh, with that. And we want to make any tweaks. Now nah, we're good. We're going to keep going with that. Or yeah, we want to kind of, we want to get this one, this, this expense a little bit more under control next month. Let's make a plan. Yeah. I like that. And um, we don't, we don't really have any, any guilt. I, I, I wouldn't use that word, but it is, you know, it needs to get under control because at the end of the day, I made a goal for savings. Um, we're on track to meet the goal. So it, it feels like anything outside of that is, is okay. Um, and that's, and that's just, it's, it's just okay. It's not, it's not the right thing to do. We should be saving more. So I like that idea of splitting up the fun money. So without reducing what you said for it, which is $1,800 per month in these miscellaneous expenses, um, your total spending comes to 4,300 per month, right? And if, if you were to come out of this in a year from now, be house hacking with an Airbnb or a rental pl- property with that, um, your expenses now drop from, uh, for, uh, 4,300 per month to 2,900 per month. And you're, you're good to go. You can cover that with your second job right now within a year, um, you won't be building a lot of wealth on top of that at that point. So you may want to continue that process, maybe, you know, buy several properties over three years and set up some systems. Maybe think about um, stockpiling 80 or $100,000 a year, 80,000 this year, next year, and then maybe 100 or 120 after a year or two, if you make some of these moves, grow the income in some of these ca- categories. And that would, would further cement your position. But I think you can have your goal of flexibility way faster than trying to just go work towards this kind of amorphous $7,200 per month in passive income goal. Okay. All right. I do have another, um, I guess, small wrench. It's not a huge, it's not a, a big deal. Um, I do have a pension with this local government job and it has, the problem is it's an eight year vesting period. Um, I'm about, I'm about three and a half years in um, and it's already one of the longest jobs I've ever held. Um, but if I can stay until if I stay the full eight years, and then even at that point, wait until retirement age, that will be an extra $1,000 a month. So if I leave before the eight year, that's kind of like walking away from what, like $300,000. Right? Is that right? So 
so the the thousand dollars a month does that come into play eight year, four and a half years from now or at retirement age? That would be at retirement age. Interesting. I I have to think about how to value that asset. At retirement age, it would be worth three hundred thousand dollars ish. Um, if you if you want to if you want to call it that, depending on how how likely it is that the the company or sorry the government um, is likely to pay out that pension, which is probably fairly likely in Florida. Yes, I would say I would say fairly likely. So you know, but that's discounted by twenty years by a discount rate because you're not getting you're not going to access those funds until twenty years from now. Then you're going to access a three hundred thousand dollar annuity um, at that point from the pension. So it's worth considerably less than three hundred thousand dollars at this point. Let's okay. call it. Let's value it at $75,000 for purpose of this discussion. I'm probably off there. You should go and value that by using a <laughs> discount rate you think is appropriate, but that's 20 to 25 years from now. Is it 65 or 59 and a half? Gosh, I think it's 65. Okay, so you're 25 years out. It's probably worth less than $75,000 in present value right now. Okay. So that would be a way to think about that from a valuation perspective when you're making decisions. So yes, okay, I'm, I'm going to okay. stay four and a half years in order to make $75,000, um, an additional value right now, or can I, you know, I could easily make more than that potentially in this Avenue, but that would be a way to, to think about it, um, over the next couple of years. Okay. Okay. But yeah, that was, I missed how long you've been at this job, uh, three and a half years, three and a half. And it has to be a total of eight. Yes. Okay. And do you like your current job? I do. I do like it. Um, it's it's a higher level position. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the human resource aspects of being a director. Um, this I've never been a never been the best or most, I guess, interested supervisor. Um, so that part of the job is not my favorite. Uh, I would rather be an individual contributor like I am with the technical writing. But right now, it's just. I mean, I like it enough that everything makes it worth it right now. Okay. Then I wouldn't make a rash decision right now because it's still $300,000 down the road. Um, if you hated your job, I would say four and a half years is a lot of time to spend at a job that you hate for $300,000 in yes. 20 years. Um by the way, I did. I pulled out a present value calculator um, because this is fun. And the present the present value of a three hundred thousand dollar pile of cash in twenty five years twenty forty seven would be at a five percent discount rate is eighty eight thousand dollars. So if you hey, think you, you can earn, close. if you think you can earn ten percent return, it's going to go down to twenty seven thousand dollars. So, so if you're using a 10% discount rate, it's, it's, it's like 25 grand uh, with that. And by the way, you're not getting a pile of cash for 300 grand in 25 years. You're getting a set of future cash flows. So it's even less than that um, from a valuation perspective. So all of those things I think will be helpful perspective um, for you in, in making that decision. I would, I would not consider this is, this is less than 5%. This is less than 10% of your net worth right now. Most yes. like ten, it's okay. 10 to 20% of your net worth, depending on what discount rate you want to use, but probably closer to 10 or less. In that case, the current life satisfaction and current job enjoyment is going to factor heavily into 
my own decision if I was in your shoes. If I like my job, why would I leave? It's hard to find a job that you like, and there's no guarantee that when you change jobs, you're going to find one that you like better. If I hated my job, I would start looking. This wouldn't be enough to keep me there. Based on what Scott is saying, it's... Yeah, it's kind of... He's not saying it's worthless. Yes. He's saying it's not worth much. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm right. saying it, there's a calculable value on this income stream. And at the high end, assuming a ver- assuming you are a terrible investor and get 5% returns on your money for the rest of your life, it's worth 90 grand. But it's worth less than that because it's a set of incomes. It's 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 incomes income from the future based on that, not a pile of cash. So it's it's not worth a lot relative to your financial position, but it is a factor. I would not stay in the job for four and a half more years in order to get to, to realize that benefit at the opportunity cost of really realize seeing some things that you want to do in your doing things you want to do in your life, pursuing investments or other job opportunities in other locations, this is not a powerful benefit um, relative to your overall savings rate. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. I was I was thinking, I was stuck on that, you know, what it would take to generate $1,000 in income today. And based on, based on that calculation, I think that that's pretty much a non-factor for a decision making going forward. No, I was saying that's really great to be able to realize that a lot of people don't factor that in. Scott, can you share a link to that uh, that present value calculator? We'll include those in our show notes. Sure. I Googled present value calculator very rapidly and then put it in there and became this is one of the first results in Google. So I will uh, I will go ahead and, and and link that in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash money show three one four. Yeah, I think that is important to have that the ability to realize, oh this is a really great thing that I'm about to give up if I just work there for another month, or this is nothing even if I work there for 10 more years. So, you know, it's it's when the, the decision is much tighter that it, it makes it a lot more difficult to make. But this one, I like that you have realized very quickly too, very, <laughs> like you're so easy to uh, to let go of this, this, uh, uh, wait, this this uh, golden handcuffs thing. That's not the right phrase. No, that's but. exactly what it is. It is. Yeah. I've, I've referred to it as that before as well. No, it's, it's, it's I think it's easy to let go because uh, kind of over the years, I've, I've learned that the money's out there. You can get it. Um, it just, I've changed this job that I've had for three and a half years. It's the first time I'm ever doing it. I, when I walked in the door three and a half years ago, I had no idea. I didn't even have a background in it. So it's just like, but but up until this point, I was just kind of throwing all this money away. I didn't know what to do with it. So now that I'm on this track, now now that I'm thinking about it in a different way, you know, 10 years ago, if you would have said that, I'd have been like, eh, that's too far in the future. I'm not going to think about it. But if you had said it a year ago, even, I would have been like, I will never let that go. But now here I am thinking that maybe, maybe not be worth it. <laughs> I mean, you, you, if you're 62 and you have another year left to vest the thing, obviously you have a like like okay we're gonna do that but but i think that 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 we can we can make a different decision or value it differently because of your circumstances and by the way i would discount it at a 10 percent rate of return um okay that's because i am perhaps a little arrogant and think i can i can do much better (laughs) than five percent um return over the course of the next 25 years with my invested dollars 
um, with that. So that value then is $27,000, 28,000. So, so now that that's not the maximum I would get. That is just, that is basically the minimum if I stayed vested. Now, if I continued working there for another 20 years, which I don't see happening, um, it, it could, you know, be quite a, quite a big sum of money, maybe $4,000 a month. It just depends on if they take the average of your top five earning years, I believe. Um, and that's, that's how they base their calculations, but it, you know, the less you work, the less lucrative it is. So, okay. We did an episode. I just want to remind people on episode 259, we spoke with Grumpus Maximus and it was called pensions 101. So this is something to listen to if you're considering taking a job that has a pension, or if you're considering leaving a job that has a pension, or if you just want to know more about pensions, because I've never had a pension. I didn't know anything about them. I thought it was a very interesting show. Uh, so that's episode 259 at uh, wherever you get your podcasts. I think this has been great from my perspective, but how do you feel about this information? It's a lot. Um, it, it's yeah. interesting. It's interesting. I I knew you guys would. It you. <laughs> I knew you guys would pull out some things that I hadn't really thought about, and I did. I yeah, it, it's been really helpful. So. I'm glad this is not meant to be just, here's all those problems solved. Yes, yes. We're done. You have homework. (laughs) Yeah, you have homework. You have things to look at. But it can be really difficult to get outside of your own head when you're focused on this. It's hard to see what else is around. So having these other options, you currently have $7,200 in expenses. Therefore, you need to generate $7,200 in expenses to be able to quit your job. And I love Scott's way of thinking. Let's reframe that. And in 45 seconds, you cut your monthly needs in half. Yes. Yeah. And then it's, you've got $2,000 of that already from your current job. So now you're down to 20 hours a week working and we've got to figure out another way to uh, a way to generate 2000 more dollars and then you can quit. Yeah, then I'm good to go. Yeah. A- or another thing. <laughs> yeah, right? Which I probably wouldn't. You were right about that. I uh, there's no way I could just sit around but another thing he pointed out was my lack of like accessible funds right now, which I really need to think about that. And I think, I think I may try to redirect some of this into maybe a, a one real estate deal or something. Into a real estate deal, into after-tax brokerage accounts, um, your boyfriend's inherited IRA. I'm assuming that because you're not married, you don't file jointly taxes. Correct. Yeah. 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 So look up. The um, Mad Scientist, How to Access Retirement Funds Early. I don't know if you've ever read that article before. He talks about the Roth conversion ladder in that article. And the inherited IRA isn't a Roth, so you convert it to a Roth by paying taxes currently on your at your current income level. So you want to look up, and this is where a good tax planner will be able to give you great direction. Um, They will look at your situation and say, oh, you have this much space between your income and your capital gains tax cap where you can convert and not pay any capital gains on this. And then once it's sat in the Roth IRA for five years, you can withdraw the principal, not what's grown, but the principal. And everything that you've converted over is now principal. So it is an interesting idea. And if you've got, I mean, he's got eight years to pull out $135,000. He could Roth convert it 
little bit by little bit and reduce his taxable income, uh, reduce his tax burden on that while changing it to a Roth. When the market's low, it's going to, I can't guarantee past performance is not indicative of future gains, but I think that the market will continue to bounce back and will go, will return. I mean, if you look at the historic market returns, it goes up and to the right eventually. So you want to buy low when you can. That's fantastic. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah. If you Roth IRA or if you Roth convert it, then it's growing. He takes out the principal if he wants the it, the gains are still there and they continue to grow or you know go up and down whatever. Um, but yeah, just I think having a conversation with a tax planner, having all of your numbers out there for them to see, they can give you some really great advice that's even better than what Scott and I are giving you because we're not tax planners. We just know enough to give homework. So that's another <laughs> homework homework assignment is to connect with the tax planner and ask them for suggestions to maximize what you have, both pre and post-tax, uh, but more along the, the post-tax lines um, and see what they say. What else can we help you with, Rebecca? Um, no, I think that's actually it. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. I got a, I got a lot to think about. Well, let's let's recap. At the strategic level, uh, most of your net worth is in retirement accounts and home equity, um, and that is not going to get the job done in giving you life optionality and financial freedom. So, when you, as you acquire more cash, that needs to go into accounts that can provide that freedom. Options would include after-tax brokerage accounts your emergency reserve, which I think is a great starting place because that will help you build financial runway, which may create options for you. And you may you, and you might consider buying real estate. You can access, uh, your, your home equity is a major part of the equation, and you should think through that as part of your um, journey here to, 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 to uh, cut costs um, and potentially think about redeploying that into a house hack or other investments that can bring you this, this flexibility. Um, you make a great income, so you're really not at all unreasonable with your month-to-month spending, even though I think that's what you thought was your big problem coming in, although that's assuming that you keep it at the levels that you stated and um, and have been true in the recent past, it sounds like. So we have some tactics and tips to, to do that. Maybe consider the credit cards um, for each of your spouses uh, or, or for each of the, the partners here, your, you and your boyfriend, to make sure that you um, are accountable for your own spending and can and can talk about it in a positive way once a month. And then lastly, Mindy had some great tips for how to think about um, uh, dealing with the boyfriend's inherited IRA and rolling that over bit by bit uh, in order to play a really strong tax advantage game. Ideally, parts of that being done before, um, if if you guys are considering this, before you get married um, and and have to file jointly. So lots of good, I think, uh, hopefully helpful tactics here and hopefully some some helpful perspective on reframing the strategy and the overall goals. A lot of homework for you. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time today. This was so much fun. I really appreciate you sharing your unique situation. I think it will help a lot of people who are in similar situations. I don't think anybody's going to have the exact same scenarios, but I think a lot of people are going to have this portion or that portion or that portion. So this is always really helpful. And that's why we do these these shows. I'm so glad for your time. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. 
Okay, Scott, I just want to give you huge, huge, huge props for that reframing idea. I really, really, really like how you gave her different things to think about and were able to basically chop her monthly needs in half in such a short time frame. Nice job. That was super helpful. I know to her. Yeah, I think I think that the the goal usually is optionality and flexibility right now or very soon <laughs> um, for for most people, right? And so I think well, that's course. you know, and so when you hear a number that is just like, okay, well, we are not going to get you to seventy two hundred dollars a month in passive income anytime soon um, with the current way things are structured. Let's reframe the goal and let's come up with a strategy that we can that we can use to really jumpstart the journey towards that by increasing the amount you're going to save every year, moving more of that wealth into after-tax investments like real estate or after-tax brokerage, and having a bigger runway that gives you some flexibility. Now we can play a game that is winnable in the short term um, and gives you real-life options and improves your life. Absolutely. I am so excited for her homework assignments and her for what she finds out about them because I think she is going to take this at the end of the show after we stopped recording we we checked in with her and we're like hey is this you know did we get you what you needed and she said I have so many things to look into now and but it like excitedly like now I have all these options to you know that I thought I that I wasn't aware that I had before which is the whole point of this show is just Here's things to introduce you to so you can make sure that you are doing all the things that you need to do, that you want to do, that you can do to reach your goal as comfortably as you want, as you can. I love it. Should we get out of here, Mindy? We should. From episode 314 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen saying I have no clever line today. Email me, Mindy at BiggerPockets.com, with your suggestions. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.